0: I'm going to encourage you. I see some of you have already been lifting your hands in worship, but as we go to the Lord in prayer as a physical sign of our openness to him, our desire to surrender to him, let's raise our hands and just say, God, do your work within us. Pour your love into our hearts afresh today. Have your way in our hearts and lives today. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your people, to worship you, to proclaim your glory, to declare you the king. God, right now, in the middle of history, we bow our knees before you. We confess with our mouths that you are Lord. We're not going to wait until the end of time when all of creation testifies of your goodness. We're starting right now to declare you the king, to surrender to you, to yield to you. So we ask God that in every heart, in every life, in every family, in this room today, you would be glorified. That this week you would have your way in our hearts and lives. That you would guide our steps and direct us. Lord, we are your vessels. We ask that you would pour your spirit into us and work through us. Lord, I pray for anyone today that's in need of a touch from you, that as they come with that posture of surrender and yielding to you, you would fill them, God. You would cleanse them. You would do your work within them. We thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you're here in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to King Jesus today. Um, Just a couple of uh, announcements to let you know about. Uh, You've got your bulletins there, so make sure you take a look at that and don't miss anything. The youth uh, winter camp deadline is coming up on December 11th to sign up for that. That's coming up next month, January 17th through the 19th down at the Ponderosa Retreat Center. So make sure you stop at the youth table or go on the website and get signed up for that. Information is there in your bulletin. Also, good report on the Operation Christmas Child Project. 35 shoeboxes were collected from our congregation, so praise God for that. And as a follow-up, there are some opportunities next week to serve at the Denver Processing Center, if you'd like to go and help uh, organize and sort those shoe boxes out as they're getting prepared to be shipped to different parts of the world, uh, there are some slots reserved for both Tuesday and Thursday of next week. I know the youth are going on Thursday, but there's room for some adults to go along on that as well. And you have to be age 13 and up to go and help out. So if you have any questions, you can talk to Kelly Hustad uh, or send her an email and find out some more information about that. Uh, but that's a great opportunity this holiday season for you and your family to be a part of continuing that blessing that brings good news to lots of different parts of the world. And then also for families, there's a good resource back here uh, on the, uh, on the uh, what's, what's the name of that table? Help me, Mark. Um, resource table, that, that's a good word for it. Good. <laughs> Not the coffee table, the other one out in the lobby there. Uh, but there's a good resource for families there, a Christmas family devotional that would be a good guide for you to use this month with your family to get them into the, the true meaning of Christmas. And that brings us to our text today, so you can turn to Romans chapter 5 with me. Um, was anyone else with me last night crossing over Vale Pass? A couple, a couple, the people in my van are the only. They're like, yeah, they're still shaking a little bit. The rest of you were wise to not attempt that. Um, it was not a good. It was not a good day. Nebraska wasn't any better, huh? Um, yeah, so we, we had, a few months ago, told my brother in Salt Lake that we would come out there for Thanksgiving. We stood them up at Easter and didn't make it out. They've lived there for two years. There was a new baby born uh, this summer, and so we just felt like we got to get out there. We told them we we're going to come, and we stood them up once. So then, you know, this was not a great week to be driving to Salt Lake. I don't know if any of you have paid attention to the weather at all. So the plan was leave Tuesday, come back Friday. Well, we, we started realizing that's not going to happen. If we wait till Tuesday, uh, it's, it's not going to take place. So we left Monday night, and I-80 was closed by then, but I-70 was still pretty decent. So, you know, left here at 6 p.m., got there about 4 a.m. That was a great, you know, start of, of the weekend, or the week. And then we're trying to figure out how to get back, you know, because they're getting hammered in Salt Lake. And I-80 never did reopen fully, I don't believe, maybe for a little window on Friday morning. So then it's like, all right, we better take I-70 again on the way back. And I guess the good part of it was getting to listen to all the Christmas music. The kids had their, you know, after Thanksgiving, you can officially begin to listen to Christmas music. So we're listening to Christmas music. Maybe it was the stress of the snow conditions and and, and the, the long drive or too much caffeine that I was drinking, but I became a bit of a Christmas carol Nazi at one point on the way back. And I'm like, you know, I can't listen to one more pentatonic song. They're, they're done. It's over. Can we listen to something that talks about Jesus? It was all this, you know, nice sounding songs, but some of them really started getting under my skin. You know, the, the worst one is that one that's got Hallelujah in it, but it's the pentatonic's version of whatever that that song is. They butcher the word hallelujah and turn it into a distorted meaning. That's a Hebrew word that means you all praise God and they're turning the meaning of it so I, I get angry and crabby about that. The worst one, though, was this one song where I started getting my hopes up as I'm listening to it. I can't, can't tell you the name of the song or the artist, but they're, you know, it's getting you to the point of, you know, it's not all about all this other stuff, the glitz and the glitter and the presents that comes with Christmas. It's the real meaning of Christmas, and here it is, time with your family. I'm like, how lame. That is not what Christmas is all about. <laughs> yeah, all right. So I was getting crabby. I'm like, do you have any Christian songs on that iPod? Come on now. Let's get some good Christmas songs in here. So today, hopefully, as we're entering December, as we're looking forward to celebrating our Savior's birth, we're actually thinking about what the real meaning of Christmas is. And it's not Black Friday, and it's not time with family. It's the Savior arriving on the scene. It's God's gift of love. And today, we're going to read about this in Romans 5, not typically a Christmas passage. But let's go ahead and read this together. Romans 5, the first 11 verses. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And there's a lot packed into that. And this is in the context of a whole letter that is just rich with the gospel story. What is the gospel? You know, let's say this week is your opportunity where that person that you've been trying to work up the courage to share the gospel with is finally open. There's some circumstance in their life. Maybe they're asking, What's this life all about? You know, you're a religious person, aren't you? Who is this Jesus? And man, the, the 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 door is wide open for you to share the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, how long do you have? Do you have two words? Do you have time for two words? Then the gospel is Jesus saves. You have time for five or six words? How about three words? Jesus saves sinners. That's the gospel. I, I should have counted these words ahead of time. If you've got time for a little bit longer sentence, here's the gospel. Jesus saves sinners from the wrath of God. That's what we're seeing here in Romans 5. And this is the gospel. Are you ready to share that? But there's an element here of the gospel that I want to highlight today and in the next few weeks. And it's the aspect of Love. Jesus saves sinners from the wrath of God because of love, through love. And that comes out here in Romans 5. It's not just a chapter about justification and reconciliation, all these big theology words that you've probably heard before and maybe you could give me a dictionary definition of, or maybe you're going, yeah, that's not a part of my vocabulary. We'll dig into a few of those today. But I want to I shine a flashlight on the word love that pops up a couple times in here and within the broader context in Paul's argument here in Romans 5 through 8 and really the whole book. What is this love that the Father pours out? What is the true meaning of this season that we're entering here? And so let's, let's pick it apart here verse by verse and kind of walk through these 11 verses that we've read together. The first verse talks about being justified by faith. That phrase seems pretty simple, right? To be justified. Uh, An easy way someone told me to think of what the word justify means. It's just as if I never sinned. It's when you're not just declared not guilty. It's when the, the clock is actually rewound and you didn't even commit the crime. You're cleansed and made new as if you had never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. Well, what about the by faith? Well, that, that's, a, that's a, 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 a phrase that leads to a lot of uh, discussion because it's, it's hard to translate into English exactly what's going on there. There's two problems. Number one, the same word for faith is, is the same word for faithfulness. That same word pistis in Greek is faith or faithfulness. So in our minds, we think of those as two different categories, right? Right? Faith is when you really believe in something. Faithfulness is when you behave in a trustworthy way. In Greek, it's the same word. So that creates one set of problems. Then the other other problem is in the way prepositions work, right? So um, when you say by faith, you could also translate that from Greek into English through faith. So really you end up with four options. Is it by or through faith or faithfulness? So you're justified somehow is it in your believing? Is it by your faith that, you know, when you just believe hard enough in something that then God declares you clean, cleansed, just as if you'd never sinned? That doesn't seem to fit the broader context of Romans or the rest of the New Testament for that matter. So, In fact, in in Romans 3, I think it gives a good answer to that question. Here's what it says in Romans 3. It says, All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And verse 24, the one we maybe don't quote, And we are justified by the gift of grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so really, that challenge, I think, is resolved by looking at the the complexity of it and trying to hold it together. It's kind of like the way love works. And really, that's another phrase that comes up here: the love of Christ. Okay, so if I say the love of my wife, what am I talking about? Am I talking about my love for her, or her love for me, or does it even matter? Right? Because love is something that's reciprocated, just as faith and faithfulness are reciprocated. So really, the 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 debate over uh, this pistis Christu phrase that you know, if you if you really want to geek out, I could give you a whole book on this. The the problem is resolved by recognizing that it's God's gift of grace through Jesus, his faithfulness, that brings us to himself and invites us to then reciprocate through our faith and belief in him and our faithfulness, just as he gives his love to us and then fills us with his spirit to allow us to reciprocate that love to him and reflect it out to a world that's without faith, without faithfulness and without love. And so God justifies us by faith and brings us to a place of peace with God. So we were in a place of discord, ungodliness, brokenness, sinfulness, and it's Jesus reaching out to us that cleanses us and puts us in right relationship with God. That's the gift that he gives us. So in verse 2, it goes on, it says, That we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Um, Again, a little different spin on how we think of hope. When you say, I hope, it's pretty empty in English, right? Like, I hope I get a new fill-in-the-blank for Christmas. You know, maybe there's no substance to that hope. Maybe it's a complete pipe dream. Maybe you're hoping for a new car. But (laughs) Santa Claus ain't bringing it, right? Right? Um, so our hope can be very empty and without real substance. But you look here, the, the phrase says rejoice in hope. That, that's, that's not how we typically think of hope. It's because here in the Bible, hope is more substantial. There's, it's rooted in reality. It's a confident expectation of something you're looking forward to. It's more like saying, I'm looking forward to. And so you rejoice as you look forward to. You rejoice in the hope of What? Not just in hope itself, but in the hope of the glory of God. Do you know what God's highest priority is? His glory. His glory, says the guy that led the, the John Piper Bible study. It's good, yeah. Uh, the, the pursuit of God, was it called? No, what was the? Desiring God, desiring God. Desiring God right and it was it was about reorienting our priorities because that's not our highest aim you know like i didn't wake up this morning and in my carnal base instinct go you know what today is all about god getting more glory than he got yesterday man i need to be rewired by his spirit to begin to think in that way and yet for god that's his priority every day that he gets more glory uh I had a, a youth in our youth group back in Minnesota one time asked me, a teenager, isn't that narcissistic? You know what I mean? Like if we did that, if we started thinking, you know, my main priority is that I get more glory today than I did yesterday, God would say, that's wrong. So how come he gets to do it? And she kind of stumped me for a minute and I said, like, wait a minute, no. It's because you're not God and he is. Right? He's the only one who is glorious. I'm glad she asked me that question. And caused me to dig in a little bit and think, why is this okay? It's because there is one creator and everything else is in the category of created. It's because there is one who's glorious and the rest of us are created to praise him and to magnify him and to give him glory. And as he cleanses us and justifies us and gives us peace, he brings us to that place where we begin to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and we begin to see, the way, see things the way that he sees things. We get a taste of what it is for him to be more glorious. Philippians, Paul Paul writes another letter to the church in Philippi. And here's something for you to to rejoice in hope over as you look forward to this day. You know, maybe you were at Black Friday elbowing your way to that really good deal and you weren't seeing a lot of this happening that day in Southlands. But let me give you something to look forward to. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on earth and in heaven and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Savior, our Father. And so one day every created being will rejoice in the glory of God and will bow before him. Some will bow out of finally acknowledging you actually are the king. Others will bow just like we are today because we come to worship and we glorify him and Jesus has brought us close to God and brought us to that place of peace today and we're looking forward to seeing him face to face. But we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and I pray that for you this holiday season you don't get distracted by anything else that you're able to focus in on the glory of God and making him more glorious and seeing him for who he is. Now, how does that affect your daily living? When you're justified, when you're brought to a place of peace with God, when your hope is starting to change from just that thing that's for me to the greater glory of God and your heart is being reprogrammed, your brain is working in an entirely different way. You're seeing things God's way. How does that affect your daily living? Here's what Paul says. Now this is crazy. Maybe you disagree with this. Verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings? What's the matter with this guy? Rejoice in your sufferings. Do you have your head screwed on straight, Paul? How many of you this week, you would say, yeah, that, that was, that's pretty much what I did. I rejoiced in my suffering this week. Is anyone obeying this verse? It's a hard one, isn't it? <clears throat> why would you rejoice in your suffering? This, is not, this does not come naturally. Why do you rejoice in your suffering? Well, there's a whole sequence of why. Well, A, you rejoice in your suffering because suffering produces endurance. Great. <clears throat> when you're working out at TrueFit this week, you know? I'm rejoicing as I'm feeling the burn. You're you're building endurance. Endurance produces character. Character's a good thing. Character leads to hope. You see the sequence here? you, you connecting with his logic. So you start out with suffering. You don't get to the endurance without suffering. And you don't get character without enduring something that's painful. So, so you re- at the end, you're rejoicing because of hope with something that began as suffering. And it all begins to reorient your, your values, your priorities, your outlook, your worldview. That hope, finally, it doesn't lead to shame. So it lead, the last thing it leads to is not shame. And so what began as suffering ends up putting you in a place where there's no shame and instead there's hope because of the character that's been built within you and the endurance that you've learned as God has been faithful right in the midst of your day-to-day struggles and trials. Now, this is all encompassed by this word that I want to focus in here at the end of verse 5. Because why do you rejoice in suffering and this whole progression from suffering to character to, or to endurance to character to hope to not shame? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The, the, the Greek word here is agape. Anyone ever heard the word agape? Okay, this year we've, we've taken a look at a few Greek words for love. And this is the last one that we're ending on at the end of uh, 2019, the word agape. So we looked back in the spring at the word Storge. Uh, which is affection, basically, roughly affection. We looked at phileo, which is uh, the word for friendship. We looked at eros, which is intimacy or that kind of uh, husband and wife type of love. And now what about this word agape? So the the love of God, the agape love of God, how do we understand what is meant by this word? Um, this is, you know, maybe some cognates that we would have in English. I'll give you a couple that are not really commonly used. But we've got the word charity, and we also have the word altruism. Okay? Uh, you probably haven't used either of those this week, I'm guessing. Uh, we think of, of charity as kind of like when you give money to somebody who's poor, right? But if you look at what's, what's the heart of charity, it's a kind of love that says, I recognize your need and there's absolutely nothing in it for me, but I want to meet your need. I, I, want to, I want to give to help meet that need. Give in a way that costs me something, that you know, maybe is painful to me. Altruism is the same kind of thing. It's when you're thinking of the good for the other. And you're looking at that person and saying, Well, what do they need, even when it's costly to you? Maybe it's uh, you know, giving a kidney to a, a stranger. Who's going to be on dialysis without it? And you go, this is, it's going to hurt and it's risky, but I could do something in this person's life that would make a huge impact, like a lifelong impact, and give this person many more years of life. That would be altruism or or an act of charity. And so when God looks at us with love, it's not those natural. Uh, loves that we looked at earlier this year? I mean, it's not that he doesn't feel affection for us or that he doesn't have a friendship uh, desire to have that kind of relationship with us and look at the same goal, stand side beside him. Um, It's not that there's not intimacy in our relationship with God. But we're looking at a different aspect of God's love today as we look at this word agape. And really, Paul unpacks it in this argument, right? We'll look at those verses again. But it's the kind of love that says, you know, I don't get anything out of this. I don't need anything from you. But I see that you have a need. And I'm giving to you, because of who I am, a loving, generous God who sees your need and is willing to meet that need. That's the kind of love that God has poured into your heart. Are you you feeling that today? You know, hopefully when we talk about the gospel It's not only justification and reconciliation and propitiation. And do you have a taste of the love of God for you? Do you have a firm handle on that? And as you're sharing the good news with somebody else, is love a big part of the story that you're sharing? Because if you miss that, your presentation of the gospel is pretty dry and flat. Paul, Paul reminds us really at the heart of the gospel is this love that God has that pursues you and reaches you when you don't deserve it, when you didn't earn it, when you are in your nastiest state. So why do we have a hard time remembering the love of God in our gospel presentation or maybe in our our grabbing hold of that for ourselves? Well, Paul unpacks this a little bit beginning in verse 6. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Um, you know, I was thinking in, in, the, in the book of Revelation, the letter to the church in Ephesus, the critique that Jesus has for that church is, you've lost sight of your first love. You've lost your first love. And there's something so refreshing about being with a baby Christian. Someone who just yesterday, um, you know, left the, the life of sin and found out about God's love and the work that Jesus did on the cross and has been cleansed and made new. And you're with that person and it's exciting. And man, there's some profanity still coming out of their mouth, you know. And that's okay because it's, it's all fresh and new. And God is just beginning that work of transformation in them. And then what happens to the rest of us that have been Christians for a long time? You know, we, we fossilize, drink some church coffee. What happens to us, you know? How come we are like the church in Ephesus at times where we lose sight of our first love? Maybe it's because we miss the truth of what Paul's saying here in verses six and following. Maybe it's because we start thinking that, you know, I, I never was that weak. I was never really completely ungodly. I, you know, I, I'm kind of in the category of verse seven, like a, basically a righteous person, basically a pretty good person. And anytime you start thinking that way, you're going to lose sight of your first love. And you lose sight of the fact that, man, I was in a desperate, you know, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When you sing that song, man, it's hard to not get the tears back in your eyes and the lump in your throat to think of where you were and who you were when God reached you, when Jesus loved you, when he saved you. And so Paul reminds us, he says, remember, you were weak. You were ungodly. That person that you're thinking of and going, man, that person is unlovable. That was you. As God looked at you, it wasn't because you were so lovable that he just wanted to snuggle up with you. You were revolting, repulsive, in sin. A holy God looking at you who was chasing after other gods and living a life of unholiness and ungodliness. And he said, I'm going to die for this one. I love you and I'm going to reach you in that desperate place. Verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, when you get a hold of that, you get a hold of grace. And you begin to understand what is this love that we're talking about today, this Love that's not based on how lovable I am, but it's based on what an awesome lover he is and how gracious he is and how kind and how good. Uh, So, you know, as you continue to read through Romans, you'll come to really the end of this little section, chapters 5 through 8. And here he unpacks that idea of love some more. I encourage you to read it on your own, but just listen as I read it today. Here's Romans 8, verse 35. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's that that gift love that that we're beginning to explore today. That's what really Jesus' advent is all about, Jesus arriving on the scene. It's a gift love. It's not like the natural loves that we practice and experience. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, talks about the natural loves as having aspects of being gift love, but also of need love connected with that. So uh, in, 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 in his chapter on affection, he, one of the examples he brings up is of a mother nursing her baby. There's a gift love and there's a need love there, right? So at at first glance, you go, well, yeah, the mother is giving this more mature, higher, self-sacrificial gift love. The infant is receiving, has the need love to be nourished, to be able to grow. And yet upon closer examination, you realize that the mother, even in that gift love, also has need love. If that baby doesn't nurse, she's going to be in a world of hurt, right? Right? So there's, there's need love even in our natural gift love. And we wouldn't look at a child and say, yeah, you know, you need to grow up, grow up from that need love. It's immature that you want your dad to give you a hug when you're hurting, when you fell down, and to comfort you. Get over it. Grow up. No, we would affirm that and say, no, need love is a really good thing. So, so in the natural loves, there's this gift love and need love. And you have that in, the example of affection with a mother and her child. You have it in a friendship, you know? I, I'm, I'm assuming that Rick Heiner and Jim Tryman, these guys are probably buddies because they they both stand together looking at a hot tub and just getting excited about it, right? Right? And But there's something in it for both of them where you're saying, you know, here's a comrade on, on this journey of life. Here's someone who kind of sees things the way that I do. We have something in common we can share. As Christians, we look to the same goal of, the greater glory of God and worshiping King Jesus together. And it's good to have a friend on that journey with you. You can see the aspects of both gift love and need love in that phileo love, right? In, in, uh, in the eros love, the love between a husband and a wife, who's got an anniversary coming up soon? Anyone in the room? All right, yep, the, 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 the Rincones have a December anniversary, right? So as Sergio uh, gives that love to his wife, to Alma, He's getting something in return as well. That's a reciprocation. There's gift love and need love present in their marriage. There's something different about the kind of love that we're talking about today. There's nothing in God that was lacking or deficient that caused him to love you. He wasn't missing out on something. He was complete in and of himself. That love that's existed forever between Father, Son, and Spirit was all that was ever needed and yet it prompted him to create you and I, our world, to be able to receive his love, to be able to participate in that love and he gives it freely and fully. He makes it possible for us to participate in that love and then he invites us to join in. So so here in these verses, as as we take a hard look at who we really are, weak, ungodly, a sinner, it reminds us that God's love is not based on who I am. It's based on who He is. And you get a better look at that and you go, man, what a loving, awesome, powerful God you are that you would love someone like me. Different days you may need a reminder on either end of that spectrum right some days you're going to feel like sub scum dirt not worthy of love and you need a reminder god loves you you're his son his daughter other days you get to the other end where you're going yeah i i never was really in this category of unrighteous weak ungodly sinful i'm pretty cool it's no wonder god loves me then paul you need to go back and read this passage and have a reminder of who you were before he loved you and reached out to you so I don't know where you are today, but, but, I, but both sides of that are true. You didn't deserve his love, and he loves you. So those two together are really the full picture of this love that we're exploring today. Even in your weakness, in your ungodliness, in your sinfulness, he loves you. And he shows his love for you by substituting Jesus in your place. You deserved the death penalty for your sin, And God said, I'm going to send my own son to pay the price so that you can have peace with me and be made right with me. And that's really the last couple of verses here. The good news, verse 9. Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. So much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You were God's enemy. You were estranged from him and separated from him, and he sent his son to die for you. That's his expression of love. And now, you're not stuck in that old me rut anymore. That dead, sinful, defined by sin, existence that you once had. Now you're in this new category as one who is reconciled. Uh, Do you have a good handle on that word? Well, think of an example in your own life. Have you ever had a a broken relationship with someone that was mended? Ever? Can you think of a time when you were reconciled to someone? Maybe Maybe you're having a rift right now that you're praying that you could be reconciled. Well, if you've got a, a handle on that human relationship where there was a, an estrangement, there was a separation, there was a need for reconciliation, and you got to a place where you trusted again, and they got to a place where they were trustworthy again, and reconciliation was possible, doesn't that feel good? Where you don't have to stress out about it anymore, you don't have to hold a grudge anymore, you don't have to have that anxiety And it's just that freedom of, man, it's so good to have that behind us, to have reconciliation. That's just a little taste of the kind of reconciliation that we have with God because of Jesus. The anxiety, the separation, the lack of peace, lost in ungodliness and sinfulness, and then reconciled, brought close to God because of what Jesus did on the cross, does that give you joy and and a reason to rejoice in hope of the glory of God? What do you do about that? If you get a hold of that and you remember who you were and who you are now because of Jesus, what are you going to do this week? Let me give you a real practical challenge. Okay, uh, Easy one to start with. Give him thanks Take some time this week and and actually celebrate and remember who you were and who you are because of Jesus. But now let me give you the hard one. Love someone who is unlovable this week. Do you have anyone who's unlovable in your life? Don't don't point to them right now. That'll be embarrassing for the rest of us. I I would venture to say we all have someone in, in our lives that God has placed here that you go, this person is unlovable. They are rude. They're difficult to be around. We don't have anything in common. They're self centered. They're awkward, cantankerous, mean, selfish. Getting your blood pressure up a little bit? That person. God is calling you to begin to practice this agape love with where you get to just generously give in a loving way to that person this week. I don't know what their need is. You probably do. If you don't, God will show you that. But in some practical way with no strings attached and no expectations of anything in return, we probably won't even you know, show a video of you up on the screen doing this great act of agape love this week. You will get no credit until you get to heaven and God looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. No one else saw, but I did. Who is that person this week that God's calling you? Practice the kind of love that I showed you when I sent my son to the cross this week. And it will be costly to you personally. It may cost you in a monetary way. It may cost you in terms of time, inconvenience. Um, you know, there's people that are just easy to love. And oh yeah, I'd love to help you with that. Yeah, Oh yeah, let me, let me spend some time with you. Let me get you a present. Let me help you with that project that you have. And then there's people that are not very easy to love. If you love the person who's unlovable, I think you're going to grow a little bit in your understanding of how God loves you. And it's going to expand your capacity and your ability to love like he does. And so I put that challenge out for you to love someone who's unlovable this week and I'm going to pray for you that God brings that person to mind and creates the opportunity for you this week. I hope, you're, I hope you'll pray with me. Can we stand together in his presence today? Lord God, we give you thanks and praise today at the start of a, of a month devoted to celebrating your arrival on the scene. Thank you that you are God with us. Thank you that you didn't leave us in that place of estrangement, in that place of separation from you. But Lord, you've brought us to a place of peace. You've brought us to a place of sonship, of being called your daughter, your son. And Lord, for the person here in the room that needs that reminder today, God, I pray that you would remind them of your love. Remind them of a love that reaches them, that's based on your goodness, not our deserving. God, I pray this week that you would open our eyes to to see who is that person that you've placed in our lives that we can love like you do. Lord, that we would step out of our comfort zone and our convenience and we would cross over to to show love in a way that would reflect your love. And Lord, then open our mouths and, and proclaim the good news to that person. Lord, that we would have an opportunity to present the gospel in a practical way this week. Lord, we thank you for that love. Once again, remind us, God, of what that love means for us and how we are to show that to a world in need. We give you thanks and praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.